ambition was to travel to Europe back when I was 20. Go to London, Carnaby Street, Liverpool, the Cavern, the Beatles, all those kind of things, and enjoy that kind of life. Neil, I won the lottery. I was conscripted on the 10th intake of national service on the 4th of October, 1967. This is the story of Terry James, currently president of Hornsby RSL in Sydney's north. I had to, uh, to turn up to Illawarra Road, Marrickville, to the induction centre, where there were officers and sergeants outside, all very nice and courteous to you. As soon as you got inside the gate and said the oath, the whole demeanour of them changed. You were in the army and you knew it, they let you know it. And they shipped you down to Wagga, to the recruit training centre at a place called Kapuka. In the early days of October 1967, it was a very cold and dismal place. During that time of recruit training, you learn all the art of being a soldier. And you also, at the end of it, get to pick which corps you want to go to when you graduate. I was a bit lazy when I was 19, 20, and I thought, I don't want to ride, walk anywhere, so I want to ride. So I put down Armoured Corps, Artillery and Engineers. I got infantry. I think because at the time, <laughs> that they were looking for cannon fodder for Vietnam, so. Where I was immediately posted to the 5th Battalion Royal Australian Regiment at Holsworthy. I flew over in the advance guard to, uh, to Vietnam. So that was late January 69. So there was a bit stressful going over, not knowing whether it was going to be a one-way trip or not, obviously. Uh, we flew into Tonsonut Airfield in Jan late January 69. Um, we flew from Tonsonut Airport in Saigon to, to Nui Dat, which is where the, the Australian Task Force was based. If you've ever seen the movie uh, Platoon, when Charlie Sheen arrives in Vietnam, that's what it's like. Hot, oppressing, smelly. It's just a different world to what we knew in, in, in Australia at the time. Uh, Vietnam in 1968, 69, was still very much third world compared to what it is today. I, I guess they lived a, a poor life. And our first operation lasted, I think it might have been about 10 days. And we had three people killed in that first operation, all in the one time. They stepped on a mine, effectively. It killed Sergeant Bernie Smith, Corporal George Gilbert, and Second Lieutenant Brian Walker. Now, on the 5th of June, 1969, that was my 22nd birthday. So I'd been up at the boozer that night to celebrate my birthday, had about four or five beers... In those days, it was just cans, of course, and often it wasn't cold. It was just kind of lukewarm. We liked VB, but it was hard to get, so I'd, I'd partake in a few of those on my birthday, turning 22. But next morning, everything hit the fan. Uh, there's a big village called Binbar, which is about five kilometres from, from where the task force was based. There had been an armoured recovery vehicle heading along one of the side roads, and one uh, restless Viet Cong soldier fired a rocket propelled grenade at that vehicle. And that's when everything happened. Um, turned out there was a North Vietnamese regiment within the village, as well as local VC units, and Delta Company 5RAR, which I was in, was called out as Ready Reaction Company on the day. Four o'clock the next morning, what are we doing? It's the day after my birthday kind of thing, you know? But it was, I could tell by the urgency in, in, in the commands that we were receiving that something big was about to happen. And we were very much... Uh, low in, in numbers of troops in our company. Normally a company would have about 120 people in their, in their strength. We had probably about 70 at that point in time. So all those 70 people were deployed in our personnel carriers. And um, it was a local village, well known for its rubber plantations. It was set up by the French originally, I think. 
we had to disembark from the armour personnel carriers under heavy fire from rocket propelled grenades, AK-47s. Us, 70-odd men, disembarked from these APCs under very, very heavy fire. Says we had to get out an extended line and sweep through the village. That was the scariest part, I think, because you know, you, you're know you open to enemy fire all the time and you didn't know whether they had any mines laid. RPGs were always deadly. AK-47s. So they had good weapons and they were good soldiers and, you know, they were tough little soldiers. And for three days, virtually, we fought house-to-house fighting in a village we weren't trained to fight in. Any fire came from a house, we'd, we'd fire back and um, call in tanks, uh, Centurion tanks, to help armoured personnel carriers. We had helicopter gunships overhead as well. You didn't know who was where. They tried to get the civilians out before the conflict actually happened, but we're not. We're never sure that everybody got out, so you didn't know whether you were killing NVA, VC or civilians. Simple as that. You, you don't know who the enemy is, apart from the North Vietnamese Army who did have uniforms. You know, most of the people we fought didn't. Back pyjamas, sandals, you just didn't know who was who, whether civilians or, or military. So you just had to take care, but you couldn't take too much care that it put yourself and your own people in jeopardy. So, sadly to say, many innocent people got killed in the fog of war. You go into a house, every one of these houses had a, had a cellar. You knew there was a cellar, you find the cellar, the first thing you do is throw a hand grenade into the cellar, just to make sure there's nobody down there. We, call, we called a cordon at night time, a cordon of armoured personnel carriers and tanks, and we rested within that at night time and started again the next day, which surprised me that they still stayed there, the, the enemy, but they did. And for, for virtually two and a half to three days, they brought some food out for us in ration packs, but um, who was eating? Who was sleeping? No one was really, because you, your eyes are stark wide, you live on adrenaline in combat, you just didn't sleep. And started again the next morning constant fire yeah constant fire and firing back they train they train you very well in the army you, you all have instinct and training to get you through but what do you do the first time you have to kill somebody can you but of course you do yeah but certainly people were shooting at me and i was shooting back and killing people simple as that warfare is killing by implication yeah politicians might start it but we fight it the enemy pulled out we could tell that everybody felt good about it at the time first of all because they survived you're sitting on the ground having cigarette after cigarette after cigarette you know with the adrenaline pumping still um, you come down from something like that and it takes a while to come down in the end we had to go around all up all throughout the whole village and pull all the bodies out and put, take them into one center square it's probably about 300 and I'm sure it would have been double that easily we only lost one man, and he'd only come into the company three days before we went in, in, into the conflict. I was fortunate I never got wounded there, apart from well, a lot bit of shrapnel in the arm, but that was nothing. Yeah, there's, there's cordite, the smell of cordite, the smell of smoke, the smell of gunpowder, the smell of everything. The bodies weren't smelling at that stage because you know, they're pretty early on in the piece, but um, certainly it smelt like war, it smelt like conflict, it smelt like, a bit like death. It looked carnage, total carnage of the village. 
were taken back to to uh, to Nui Dat, what we called the Dat, for um, to come down kind of thing. You know? And we spent another few days there before going out in another operation for about six weeks. Operations are pre-planned, so you know, even if you've spent doing what you're doing for three or four days, that won't um, take away the requirement to carry on the next operation, which the unit was supposed to do. I was there for about 10 months. But coming home was great, um, except when I was in the plane waiting to come home, we were waiting on Tonsonut Airport again, but, uh, so we're sitting on the airport fringe. Now, the end, down the other end of the airport, um, the VC were mortaring, mortaring positions, so I thought, well, not the last day, not stuck in the plane on the airport kind of thing, you know, it can't happen to me now, but it didn't, fortunately. We took off, the captain announced, when we crossed the coastline to go over the ocean, the captain announced feet wet, everybody cheered, and when we got over the North Australian coast, over Darwin area, feet dry, where all the cheer was fantastic, you know. We had to take a week's leave, and then it took us out to Southhead, Southhead Army Discharge Centre, where we spent a week out there, uh, doing nothing apart from turning up in the morning at um, 8 o'clock and being discharged at 4 o'clock in the afternoon after our names were roll called off. We'd go down to Rose Bay Hotel, the Watson's Bay Hotel, the Bondi, all those places, and, and just drink all day, basically, you know. We were down at the Watts, the Rose Bay Hotel one day, and um, we are sitting there, uniforms on, our little ribbon strips on, very proud, you know, having a few beers, and there was this table of older guys, obviously World War II veterans, right? 50s or 60s World War II veterans. They saw us and they said, are you guys just back from Vietnam? And we said, oh yeah, we've, you know, we are being so proud about ourselves, and they said, oh, that's not a war, you know. That made you sit up and think, hmm. And it was a war, people were shooting and killing, you know. It's a different kind of war to World War I and World War II, but still a war. People die, people get wounded, people get emotionally drained and hurt and depressed. Yeah, it was a big battle. And now I understand that, that I know for a fact that that battle is on the, uh, recorded on the battle lines of the Royal Australian Regiment along with Long Tan. And of course the war wasn't in the end, was it? But hindsight's a wonderful thing to have and we probably shouldn't have been there, but that's hindsight. But certainly at the time in 6th, 7th and 8th of June 1969, a big Australian victory, yeah, yeah. Produced by Neil Ashworth, with funding from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Acoustic guitar by Clive Lane, and the Berlin Philharmonic play Albanoni's Adagio. <laughs>